0: Like to say good morning to this congregation, and what a wonderful and beautiful place to be here today, right here in the house of God on a warm summer day, June 2022, and to be among the dearest friends and family that one could find under heaven, right here. So, look around. And just be grateful for all the people you see, everyone, in his own way, is a very valuable, highly treasured part of this body, for which we are most grateful, most thankful, in the blessed name of Christ our Savior. And of course, we are all very grateful to our Heavenly Father for the overturning of a 49-year-old law that gave immunity to people who wanted to murder their children. What a mighty God, and what courage those six justices displayed in overturning 49 years of the murder of innocent children. And praise God for Missouri to be the first state to declare itself free from abortion. No abortions in the show me state. God bless. And may may God's name be praised. Our lesson today will be entitled, As it was in the days of Noah. If you'd be so kind to turn in your Bible, Thank you, thank you, boys and girls, and all the congregation. I'd like you to open up to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter number 24. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. And we'll be uh, reading beginning at verse number 36. Uh, In the Gospel of Matthew 24, Matthew 24. And Jesus is, of course, on the eve of his crucifixion. This sermon, called the Oliviat Prophecy, was given just hours preceding the crucifixion of Jesus. It's considered to be among the most significant words that he ever uttered The Olivet Prophecy found in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21 and Mark 13, all three synoptic gospels record this vital prophetic word of Jesus. Now we're only taking a few little verses out of that very lengthy prophecy, but they are very, very significant, so let's turn your eyes to Matthew 24, and actually we'll begin with verse 37. Matthew 24, 37. Would the congregation please read with me? But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now think about what we just read. This is telling us that at whatever time period Christ returns, It will be accompanied by a parallel world the one in which Noah lived that there's going to be a parallel to the historical events of Noah's generation and the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth so let's begin once again in verse 37 but as the days of Noah were so shall also The coming of the son of man be now this is not this is not left open here it's it's an emphatic statement for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came took them all away so shall also, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Beloved, today, our goal is not to defend the flood as to its regional or global nature. Rather, if we were going to do that, I would introduce a lot of information from a book called The Genesis Flood, 500-page book written by two Christian people who are both accredited scientists. I would introduce you to *Primogenesis* by Howard B. Rand. And it's an excellent study. And Howard B. Rand is one of the great theologians of our people. And then I would introduce you to an exciting book called The Waters Above written by Joseph Dillo, and it's a fascinating read of several hundred pages. I would also introduce you to another great book. It's a great read. It's called The Delusion Stone, The Delusion Stone. And then, among other books, I've been collecting books on the Genesis Flood for a long, long time. Another excellent one is a couple of very, uh, very devoted scientists take us inside the ark and show us how they lived for 371 days. So this is, it's quite an amazing book. So with those thoughts in mind, the purpose here today then is not to explore the evidences. I'll touch on just a couple of things here and beloved uh, the purpose of this lesson is not to persuade anybody about the nature uh let's say of the of the extent of the flood i i'm going to leave that uh totally in your in your court you can make your own decision on that and i know you're fully capable of doing that what we'd like to do today is just simply point out some of the things that were happening in the time of noah's flood now I really can't do this very successfully without laying a little bit of a foundation. So I'm going I'm to try to do that as a preface to the study that we're going to engage in, in the beginning story of the flood, which is Genesis chapter number 6. Now there have been two catastrophic events in earth history. The first major catastrophic event occurred when God created the earth. Do you you realize the enormous undertaking of creating the heavens and the earth and the whole universe? Can you imagine the process of what's going on in those six days? So God created the first earth in six days. Now, this was a catastrophic event. Now, I'll be using that word catastrophic because it's a word. It's a descriptive word to describe something that's uh, catalysmic. It is so enormous that you don't have a proper word for it, so you just say, it's catastrophic. It means it's it's just unthinkably big and awesome. So, the first earth creation was catastrophic it was an awesome thing and that took six days and it was the earth was created mature we didn't have to wait billions and billions of years for the earth to become mature God created it mature just like he created Adam he created Adam he had no teenage years he had no childhood he was created mature and so was the earth then I'd like to remind you that the second uh, catastrophic event, the second uh, catastrophic event of Earth history was the Genesis Flood. Now, whatever you may think about uh, the flood, it was a catastrophic event. It truly was. Now, I'd like you to think and consider, just consider the heavy weights of the biblical authors who weighed in on the genesis flood how many of the authors of your bible weighed in on the genesis flood well we know that jesus did not only in the gospel of matthew but in the gospel of saint luke chapter 17 jesus weighed in heavily on the genesis flood and we've already talked a little bit about that but he did that because he he warned us that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Now my lesson here today is not to predict the day and the hour of the return of Jesus. No man knows the day nor the hour, and and that's not my goal. But the Bible does not tell us that we cannot examine the seasons, the seasons of history in which we are living. So I'd like you to think about, first of all, I'd like to open your minds and and think a little bit about this second catastrophic event. Now the first catastrophic event of earth history lasted six days. The catastrophic event of the flood lasted 370 or 71 days. That's a long time. They were inside that ark for more than a year. So this is significant. This was an event so catastrophic that the earth could not be inhabited from the beginning to the conclusion for over one year before man could walk out on this earth and find it habitable. That was a catastrophic event. And I don't care how you want to measure the flood, Whatever you want to do with it, it was catastrophic. I'd like you to think about the country where you live today. We live in the United States of America. Now, how would you account for what is called the Great Salt Lake Basin? If you look from the air, you can see the outline of what was at one time a great inland sea. Uh, a great inland salt sea. It covered the entire state of Nevada, all of western Utah, and that inland salt sea covered part of all the adjacent states that it once uh, uh, extended over. You may have been familiar with all that's left of the great uh, salt sea is what is called Salt Lake in Utah, and the Bonneville Flats is a 30,000 acre crust of white salt that's pretty much all that's left of what at one time was a great inland salt sea. You find the same interior kind of lakes in China, you find them in India, and you find them in other places of the world. Now, it's difficult to account for how saltwater lakes, inland lakes, made it into the interior of the land areas of the world, but they have. Now, I'd like to also open up your thinking to what is called the fossil record. It is now well known by geologists, paleontologists, and all kinds of other uh, disciplined people that study various branches of science, they know that coal, for example, is found in sedimentary layers of strata all over the world. How is coal made? How did coal get in various strata? All over the world, they've even found core drillings of oil in the North and South Pole. So the, the earth is blessed with unending amounts of coal. Now, coal is formed by the pressure of great water compressing layers of forested terrain and heavy vegetation, compressing it together in a violent, catastrophic fashion. Something in the aged past has created sedimentary uh, strata that has buried layers of coal in sedimentary layers all over the earth. That kind of phenomenon invites a question of where did all the water come From And where did all the pressure that that created coming uh, come from now? Can you imagine a world? where you have simultaneous volcanoes earthquakes tidal waves and all kinds of other natural events happening Simultaneously all over the world that was Happening and occurring during the Genesis flood was the most violent interruption of earth history since the great creation. And God put it all together. Now I'd like you to think about the fossilized record that is prevalent here in this country. And you could take, a, you could take any country in the world that you want to name. And you're going to find the evidences that I'm going to talk about regarding America. They have found in Michigan fossilized whales. How did they get there? They have discovered in Ohio fossilized sharks. How did those sharks get there? They have discovered in Wyoming, above 7,000 feet of altitude in the mountains, fossilized marine life that can only be found in oceans. Only found in oceans 7,000 feet and above in Wyoming. Moreover, they have found marine life in some of the highest mountain areas of the world. In some of the most highly elevated nations, or places, I should have said, mountainous ranges, they have discovered evidences of marine life. So the question naturally arises, how did they get there? Well, for all this (coughs) phenomenon, Of course, those who believe in the Genesis Flood have no problem because it resolves all those questions. Now in Nebraska, not far from us, at a place called Agate Springs, Nebraska, there is a massive fossil graveyard consisting of thousands and thousands of fossils of every kind that were pushed together by some powerful uh, force of nature that buried those, those animals, those creatures, just buried them suddenly. Uh, they, they died just instantaneously and were all pressed together. And they have even found, believe it or not, they have discovered woolly mammoths, that were frozen so quickly that grass was still undigested in their mouths. Now, this sounds a lot of this sounds pretty wild, but I encourage you, you know, if you really have an interest in this uh, subject, to to start investigating, because there's a wealth of information available to you. But what you have to remember is that sand, and muck, and dirt under tremendous pressure, laid strata, sedimentary strata, all over the world. And you can see the evidence of that in the Grand Canyon and many other uh, natural places where nature has put it on open display. Now, one of the interesting things about fossils is that they intersect these layers of sedimentary rock. They, they unwind and un, un, just simply challenge all the established thinking of geologists on the so-called geological column. And they, these layers of sedimentary rock prove that some enormous catastrophic event has occurred in days gone by. Now, with, without saying anything more about all of that, Let me just say, beloved, that the record of some kind of a flood is universally, has been universally believed by all the ancient cultures. The Sumerians, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Parthians, all of these cultures believe there was a great flood of some kind, and they all parallel the story of the Bible and the account of Noah and the flood. Now, there are people who would like us to believe that, and this is a prevalent belief now among liberal theologians, that the story of the flood and all about Noah and the flood is an allegory that it's not real. It's just a story. And it's been copied, it's been plagiarized. So they don't really believe it was a literal event. Now, the Bible is a book that tells and records literal events. Not myths, not just stories, but real earth history is in that Bible. So I'm going to invite you now, if you've never read about the Gilgamesh, account of the flood that derives its origin from a library that was unearthed in the ancient city of Nineveh you know where that's at in central asia and in the ruins of Nineveh they found an account of a great flood that once covered the earth and it's called the Gilgamesh flood story and it parallels the story in the bible and I'd, I've read uh, several accounts where the the authors or the people that study that Gilgamesh record believe that that the Bible copied from that from that record, and that is absolute nonsense. The Bible didn't co- uh, copy from anyone. The Bible is is the most authentic history book we have on this planet. There is nothing that do you if you know a book that's older than the Bible produce the evidence. We need to see it. So now what we're going to do is move to Genesis and read about the pre-flood period that brought on the flood. What brought on the flood? What precipitated the flood? What are the parallels? Now I know that there are people in this congregation that are far more uh, blessed with intelligence than I am, but you know very quickly when you read the verses. Verses we're going to read that we got some strange, weird things going on in our world today. We are now witnesses, beloved, to the most unusual, the most uh, absolutely new phenomenon that the world has seen or witnessed for a very long time and i believe it may go back to the time of noah and the flood but that's something for you to decide let's turn now in our bible and i see a lot of young people here today boys and girls open your bibles we're going to go back and read about moses moses is the first great testimony that we have on the genesis flood now moses Did more than give us a little miniature testimony. Moses, are you listening? Moses gave us the longest testimony of any single event that he recorded in the first five books of the Bible. Moses spent 87 verses telling us about the Genesis flood. That's a lot of verses. 87 verses no other subject in the old testament was treated with such care such detail and with such loaded information and i wonder why that moses did that why would a fi- why would god almighty inspire the moses that we know and love of bible fame why would the holy spirit inspire moses Just to give us an account of the flood and just keep on talking about it. That's what you find. Genesis 6, Genesis 7, Genesis 8, and most of Genesis 9. And Moses is talking only about Noah and the flood. So this is not a little footnote in Bible truth. Whatever you may do with the flood, it's not a footnote. It's major. It's major, and according to the testimony of Jesus himself, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, that invites us to open up our minds and examine the words of Moses, and we're going to do that by turning to Genesis chapter number 6. We're going all the way back to Genesis chapter number 6, and we're going to read together. We're going to read together from Genesis chapter number six, verse one. Are we ready? I believe we are, here we go. Join with me, verbally. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. How sad. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that is not normally the way you'd start a sentence your grammar teacher probably told you, don't ever start with the conjunction like, but. Go back and change it. But there's a reason for this, because in the middle of great wickedness, God says, but. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's one of the greatest statements in the Bible, because it's a, it's a predicate To the whole story of salvation. Which is built on grace. God's. Unmerited favor. The unmerited divine favor of God. Upon ill deserving sinners. Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord. Let's read on. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. And Noah. Walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way. upon the earth and God said unto Noah the end of all flesh is come before me now what you have to think about is the end of all the kinds of flesh that God created not talking about spare parts people that are mixed from various races We're not talking about spare parts people that look part this and part that. We're talking about the pure, pure, distinct races that God created in the beginning. All flesh has corrupted its way before me, because the end of all flesh has come therefore before me. For the earth is filled with violence... Through them, mixed races is linked to violence. Behold, I will destroy the earth with... I will destroy the... the. Um, sorry, my, my Bible, I've lost part of that. What is that? I will destroy with the earth. Sorry, my Bible is... I've just wore it out. I'm sorry. But I have to get me a new Bible. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark. And shall pitch it within and without. With pitch. Now with those words in mind. Church there's a lot here. There's a whole lot here. And we're going we're gonna to really move fast. So board the train. Fasten your seatbelt. And let's look for the first sign that we need to look for. It's found in verse 1 and men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. Now, do you know we have two phenomena happen happening in our lifetime. One is an explosion of the population of the non-white world and a, an explosion of the population of the non-white world. It has exploded in the last 75 years. The last century has witnessed a tremendous acceleration and an explosion of the, of the non-white populations of the world. At the same time, it has been witnessing a corresponding re- reduction in all of the white portions of the earth. All the white populations have been growing smaller and smaller during the last 75 years, while the non-white world is exploding. So the first point we're going to make is the population demographics of an exploding non-white world and a reduction of the white race. That's a sign. In the time of Noah's flood, it was reduced to one family. Think about it. Now, the authors of this book here, John Whitcomb and Dr. Henry Morris, have concluded, (coughs) excuse me, based on the study of the genealogical tables of the 18 to 20 generations between Adam and Noah, that there were about 770 million people on the earth, and some people uh, Some scholars would tend to believe that there was about a billion people at the time of the flood. About a billion people. Now, that is not hard to believe in view of the fact that in the antediluvian world, people lived to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. 900 plus years was the lifespan. How many children could you bear in 900 years? well you could have a rather large family in 900 years you would be you would be able to uh, well you'd have a family reunion that you could hardly imagine in ni- you'd have many generations attending uh, at one time so now believe it or not after the genesis flood now th- you're going to have to do some your homework i'm going to give you the the status The statistics that I'm going to give you. But if you want to validate this and you want to drill deep. Maybe you can drill deep because there's a lot of information to drill down into. But there was, it took, how long did it take to get 1 billion people on the earth? Now it took one, it took almost 2,000 years to get the first billion. How many years did it take us to get the second billion? Do you know when the earth received or was populated by one billion people? After the flood receded? Not until midway through the 1800s. That's a very long time. Now remember I said that population explosion was one of the signs of the time? Remember there's roughly 250 million people in the lifetime of Jesus. We hadn't reached a billion yet by any means in the lifetime of Jesus. But in the mid-1800s we arrived at a billion. By 1927 we had 2 billion people. In 1960 we had 3 billion. In 1975 we had 4 billion in 1998-99 we had six billion since then we have climbed to more than seven billion people now the truth is that the vast majority of all those people they are a non-white world they're a non-white world the white world has been growing uh, steadily downward in numbers so We're going to say that a population explosion and a reduction of the white people of the earth is a sign that we better all look at closely. Now, the little children sitting next to you are the most endangered species on this planet today. And every time you see a new Caucasian baby born, it should be a time of tremendous celebration because they are the most endangered species on this planet, and the greatest testimony that any Christian couple can make before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, before all the pro-infanticide abortionists in this country, the greatest testimony that you can make, listen to me closely, the greatest testimony that you can make and the most pleasing thing you can add to your Uh, to your Father in Heaven and His love for you is to care enough about the future of His kingdom to bear a child. Uh, How many times have you heard me say that? Add one more time. (laughs) Now, let's look at the second major event. The second major event that's going on at the time of Noah, something that we all need to be very, very cautious about and concerned about, and that has to do with the epidemic of sexual perversion. The growth and the obsession of sexual perversion was rampant before the Genesis flood. How do we know this to be true? Well, let's just look at the record here. When you have the sons of God coming to mate with the fair daughters of man, that's Adam, you know that something is wrong. Look at the record and you know that whatever that was, it's called wickedness. God looked at that wickedness and God said, this is too much. This is filling the cup of reprobation. And judgment is going to have to fall. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of information here, people. So let's just look at this. We'll, we'll do this quickly. There are three views in the identification of the sons of God. The first view is that they are merely the daughters of Adam, the fair daughters of Adam, Who are being taken by the sons of Cain, and the the line of Cain is marrying into the line of, of the Adamites. We could call them Sethites, because Seth replaced Abel, and the line of Adam continues in Seth, which means substitute for Abel. That is one view. Another view is that This is talking about wealthy, powerful kings who took wives from the fair uh, families of Adam to add to their harem and give them status. Now, I do not personally sign on to any of those uh, positions, but some people do. So I want to be honest and open here and tell you that that's a view that some people hold. The, the view that I believe has the greatest weight is that the sons of God were the angels that came down, that left their first estate, and they came down to the earth, and they cohabited with the fair daughters of Adam. That, that, that part of the population they found most attractive the white, Adamic uh, wives, which they took to themselves and then they bear these uh, Nephilim, or the Nephilim, and that word is translated fallen ones. It means that the giants were the children of the fallen ones. So now let's look at something, people, and I know you have Excellent intelligence. In the Bible, there's a book called the book of Job. In Job chapter number 1, verses 6 and 7, it'll tell you that the sons of God went and they joined the son, the, the angels in heaven and Satan is among them. Now, the book of Job is a very important book. And you'd have to read that on your own. But the sons of God appeared as angels in Job chapter 1. That's chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In Job chapter 2, verse 1, the sons of God joined themselves in heaven again with Satan. And it's all about testing Job. But it tells you that the sons of God, in Job at least, were angels. Now, in Job 38, verse 7, it says that the sons of God, the stars sang for joy, and the sons of God shouted for joy. This was going way back into the archives of time. Again... Sons of God were angels. Now, there's only a limited number of times that the sons of God appears in the Old Testament. All the Old Testament. Every time they're talking about angels. Every time. No exceptions. Now, you can challenge me on that, and I welcome you to do that. And I'll stand corrected if I need to. I will promise you. So we're going to say that The angels left their first estate, come down, and corrupted themselves with the Nephilim that became the giants that we read about in the Bible. Now, I'm going to ask you to be so patient by turning to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter number 2. And let's read two verses together. Can we do that? I'm in 2 Peter... Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5. For if God spared not the angels that sinned. Angels are sinning here. Think about it. But cast them down to hell. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And, now that's a conjunctive It's joining those two statements together. Please learn how to read the Bible correctly. You cannot separate verses 4 and 5. And spared not the old world. What was the old world? The old world was the first world that God created. Spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. How long did Noah preach? He was a carpenter preacher. When he wasn't pounding nails, building his boat for about a hundred years, the neighbors couldn't figure it out. Why would this silly man be building a boat? It never rained. We're not going to have need of a boat, are we, Noah? Laughed laughed at him, I'm sure, daily. Preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and so forth. Now, let's go to the record of Jude. Jude. Jude, verse number six. We will enter into the record, Jude, verse 6. So here we go. In Jude's one single chapter epistle. I'm reading in verse number 6. Are you ready? And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, they left the place, they rebelled against God, turned against God, left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even... Now, wait a minute. You cannot separate verse 7 from verse 6. Look at that and tell me you can separate them. No. And even, this is an example, even as Sodom and Gomorrah... And the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. See that? Going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now the Apostle Peter, while we're at it here, the Apostle Peter weighs in on the Genesis flood in a rather significant way. Now he's not the only Apostle that does that. We've already talked about the heavyweight of Moses and Jesus, but we haven't talked about Isaiah, and we haven't talked about the Apostle Peter, and we haven't talked about the Apostle Paul. All these great Bible heavyweights weighed in on the Genesis flood. They all took time to do that, and for a very good reason. But let's let's look at first, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Just for a quick moment, just for the heck of it. Now, by geological definition, Peter was a, the Apostle Peter was a catastrophist. Are you a catastrophist? Do you believe that the earth is going to end peacefully? Or is it going to end in violence and cataclysmic judgment? If you're a catastrophist, a catastrophist. You're going to say that when God judges, watch out, Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone. That's catastrophism. That's violence. The only thing we have left of Sodom and Gomorrah today is the Dead Sea. It's, it's a dead spot on this planet. It's sterile forever and ever because God rained atomic warfare on that sinkhole of sin. And he did it because of sodomy. Sodomy. It's called homosexuality. Sodomy. God hates it just as bad as he hates infanticide. But let's look at what Peter said. Everybody, down to Peter, third chapter, second Peter, Verse 3, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. You know what a scoffer is, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now that idea that, that the earth has been rolling along peacefully since the creation, that idea is called uniformitarianism. It's uniformitarianism, the idea that no catastrophic events have ever occurred. That everything has been peaceful throughout all of earth history. Peter's going to blow that wide open here. Watch what he's going to say. Verse 5. For this they willingly, willingly, willfully, are ignorant of that. By the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was. Are you with me? The world that then was. Being overflowed with what? Help me. Water. Cool water, the earth that was, was overflowed with water that perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word, now this is really vital here. Peter says the same word that validated the destruction of the world by a flood that same word is going to validate the idea of a cataclysmic, cataclysmic destruction of the world by fire two baptisms one by water one by fire the one coming by fire is going to be far more catastrophic than the one that we call the flood now the flood was catastrophic and it was i can't imagine living in that in that time But the fire, listen to this, go down to verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, beloved, be not ignorant of this one day, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long suffering not willing his well, long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now watch last verse I'm gonna read. But the day of the Lord will come. That's second coming language as a thief in the night in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, not peaceful, a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I don't think it's going to be regional. I don't think that fire that's going to burn out of this earth is going to be a mild regional operation. Like the flood before it, it's going to catch all living souls. No escape from God's judgment. So, in view of the fact, church, that we are running starting to run low on time, we need to return to our second sign, an epidemic of gross perversion accompanied the era of history prior to the flood. It was epitomized by the behavior of the angels coming down and marrying the fair daughters of Adam. You need to remember, beloved, that we live in an age when there is no no bottom line to the perversion of our generation. When I just recently read what they're teaching to the precious kindergarten students, first grade teachers, uh, first grade students, second grade Students in this class, it would be embarrassing, it would be unthinkable to tell you what they're doing from this pulpit. I would be embarrassed to even approach the filth that's being unloaded upon the minds of our children today. God help us, (coughs) God deliver those children, deliver those children. From that perversion there is no limitation to the wickedness of the generation we now live in they're just simply they just can't get wicked enough so let's look at number three we'll call this sign number three let's drop down to verse number well let's look at verse five real quickly again God saw the wickedness. Wait a minute. There's a lot of people that forget that God observes events on earth. In fact, the Bible says itself in Proverbs 15:3, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good." 2nd Chronicles 16:9, "For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To make himself strong in behalf of them whose hearts are perfect before him. God saw the wickedness that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. I don't know how many of you watched some of the protesters, the pro-abortion protesters. These are beautiful white girls that have decorated themselves in vulgar, uh, with vulgar confetti signs that are wretched. Can we, can, have we reached the bottom of our wickedness? Where is the end of the wickedness? Every ma- imagination, <coughs> excuse me, a man's heart. Was continuously wicked. That is where a growing percentage of the population of this country is now at. Perversion. Sexual perversion. And God calls us to come out of this. Stay away from it. Abstain from it. And it, the Bible says it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth. It grieved him in his heart. Can you imagine the the grieving heart that God must suffer today as he watches the wickedness of a, of, a, of a people that inherited the most marvelous nation on earth? Do you know that America has more arid land more farmable land than any continent on earth. America has the greatest waterway system in the world. America is the most protected, isolated, major nation, continent in the world. It's isolated, separated by oceans. America is a God-blessed land, a God-blessed land. And look what we have done with that land. We have desecrated, profaned and we have turned it into a vulgar pigsty. So I could say that the prediction here is that the thoughts, the imagination, themselves become totally wicked. I'd like you to think about that. You know, the Bible says, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That because people would rather believe a lie, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, that God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Delusional thinking is where you are actually So delusional that you believe the lie is reality. That's where we are in America today. Delusional thinking is now considered to be the normal. If you're not delusional, what's wrong with you? Why don't you accept our brand of morality? You're not normal. Oh, yes, we are. Because God is the only true reality. And Scripture is the only true reality. You leave God and the Bible and you have walked away from reality. Into a fantasy reality, an artificial world that's going to end up in great, great trouble. You know, church, in... The Gospel of St. Mark. The Bible tells us in the very words of Jesus. I'd like you to think about these words. For from within, out of the heart of man, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, Fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. We live in a generation of wicked hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah seventeen nine and 10. So this will end sign number three, which is the proliferation of wickedness in the human heart. The proliferation of wickedness within man's evil heart. Now we had, we had two more that we were going to cover. And depending on the interest level, we will continue this lesson uh, the next time we have an opportunity. However, there's a lot of other things that could be said from this pulpit in this generation. So I'm going to leave it to the congregation as to whether we should finish this lesson out. Shall we be standing? As I Day meet the Blessing Jesus for my